Our scripture reading for this evening's sermon is taken from Matthew chapter 6. Matthew chapter 6, as Jesus uh, teaches us about prayer, tonight we continue our, our series on prayer. We'll read from Matthew chapter 6, and then we will confess a, a summary of these truths from our catechism. Matthew chapter 6, we're going to read tonight just verses 5 through 10. I was in John 6, so now I am in Matthew 6. We will read tonight verses 5 through 10. Congregation, this is God's word. Jesus says, When you pray, you shall not be like the hypocrites, for they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the corners of the streets, that they may be seen by men. Assuredly, I say to you that they have their reward. But you, when you pray, go into your room, and when you have shut your door, pray to your Father who is in secret, in the secret place, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you openly. And when you pray, do not use vain repetitions as the heathen do, for they think that they will be heard for their many words. Therefore, do not be like them, for your Father knows the things you have need of before you ask him. In this manner, therefore, pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So far, the reading of God's word. We'll confess our faith, uh, or a summary of this word. Uh, We'll confess it through our catechism tonight. And uh, you can find that, uh, that portion of our catechism on page 895. uh, 895 in the back of your Trinity Psalter hymnal is Lord's Day 49. As is our custom, I will ask the question if you would respond with the answer. Congregation, what does the third petition mean? Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven means help us and all people to renounce our own wills and without any backtalk to obey your will, for it alone is good. Help everyone carry out his office and calling as willfully and faithfully as the angels in heaven. Okay. I encourage you to keep that handy, if possible. Please join me then in praying for uh, God's blessing upon uh, the ministry of his word tonight. Almighty and everlasting God, our Heavenly Father, we acknowledge that we are sinners, conceived and born in sin, unable of ourselves to do any good. But we come before you tonight humbled by our sin, and we seek your grace to help us in our remaining 
need. Uh, Through the teaching of your word, which we confess with the church throughout the ages, uh, satisfy our hunger, quench our thirst with your refreshing truth that we, with all our hearts, may love and serve you with our Lord Jesus Christ and the Holy Spirit, the one and only true God who lives and reigns forever and ever. Amen. Beloved congregation of the Lord Jesus Christ, in Matthew chapter 6, Jesus does an amazing thing for us. He, he teaches us about prayer, and, and not only that, he teaches us how to pray as he prays. If we think about Jesus teaching us about prayer, what we see him doing is, is building upon an Old Testament understanding of prayer, which is simply to call upon the name of the Lord. We hear that in the beginning chapters of Genesis, don't we? As the, as the early, the very early saints uh, express their faith by calling upon the name of the Lord. Uh, that is, they were praying to the Lord. And what we find as, as the Old Testament progresses from uh, Genesis and Exodus, especially into the Psalms, is that that calling upon the name of the Lord is not one direction. It's not simply us shouting up into the heavens. It is, it is a conversation. What we find in the Old Testament scriptures is that prayer is a conversation between God and his people. It's a conversation between the almighty God and his holy covenant people. As we move into the New Testament and as we, as we come to consider these things in light of Jesus, what, what Jesus is helping us understand is that, is that prayer is, is not just simply calling upon the name of the Lord, and it's even more than a conversation. What Jesus helps us to see here is that it is a, it is a personal conversation. And, and as Jesus teaches us about that, what he proceeds to do is to, te- is to show us how that happens. How that, that personal conversation with the Lord is to be expressed. Not, what does he say in Matthew 6? Not for personal glory. Not by vain repetition of words. But rather a personal conversation and communion with God. A personal conversation and communion with God. The psalmist was already anticipating that, wasn't he? And in some ways, uh, there, there, were, there were some saints who, who experienced it. At, at certain moments, Abraham had that communion with God. There were certain moments when Jacob met and, and had that communion with God. We can think of David and how David had that kind of personal conversation and communion with God. But, but it, was, it seems to be a, very, a rather rare thing, doesn't it? As you read through the lives of the Old Testament saints. And all of a sudden, here comes Jesus. 
You know, here comes Jesus on the scene, and he starts to talk about God in such personal and familiar ways, saying, my father, my father. In the Gospel of Matthew alone, Jesus refers to my father over 19 times. I'm not sure you can find a single example of my father in the entire Old Testament. Some would would debate that, but... But let's just say it's really rare in the Old Testament to think about God as my father and Jesus and his ministry. His ministry is marked with my father, my father, my father. And, uh, and, then, and then your father. Your father. Nine times in the Sermon of the Mount alone, Jesus refers to my father and your Father. It's awesome. And, and what we find then is that there is this personal conversation and communion with the Almighty God as, as our Father. Uh, at Grace Church, we're just a week behind you in, in our study of, of what the scriptures say about prayer. Just a week behind you in, in what we confess in our catechism. And, and, I, and I tried this illustration out on them. We'll see how it works for you. That what Jesus is, is helping us to see might be illustrated in terms of our, uh, well, well, having a relationship with a significant other. What happens, kids? Well, maybe... Maybe you see somebody at school or maybe your parents introduce somebody who becomes a special friend and, and maybe you court or date depending on what kind of language you have. And, um, uh, and, and, and a good relationship starts to have a conversation, doesn't it? It's not just one way. You're just shouting out to them, hey, I think you're interesting. Hey, you want to go have coffee? There's usually a response. It's, it's, it's multi-directional, and it becomes conversational and personal. And as you start to date, and, and maybe you're engaged, that, that kind of connection becomes increasingly intimate, doesn't it? And how about then marriage? Marriage isn't just a conversation, is it? It is, it is most intimate of, of communion. A union and a communion with another and that's what Jesus is welcoming us into when he, when he teaches us about prayer, even more when he teaches us how to pray. He's teaching us how to have a personal conversation with God Almighty uh, as our Father, a communion with him that is of, of the most intimate sorts. Now, how is that possible? How is it possible for a creature to have communion with the cre- creator and, and much much less than the, a sinner to have communion with, with the Holy One of heaven and earth. Well, it's only possible through the gospel, isn't it? It's only possible through the gospel where the eternal Son of God himself takes on flesh in order to deal with our sin to take his sin upon himself, to, to bring it uh, up upon the cross. So there, what Jesus is doing is he's fulfilling the law in our place, satisfying the curse that we deserve, and he rises up and again in glory. And as Jesus does that, he, he brings us together with him in that glory. Uh, 
That, that's why Jesus can, can refer to my father and your father. Because he has, he has come to, to not only save us from sin, but to grant us a new life that, that, that has been claimed by the father. We've been adopted by the father, you see. In, in union with Jesus Christ, we've become part of the holy family of heaven. And uh, just last week at Grace, we were thinking about the, the, the subject of prayer. In other words, who is, the, who is praying? Who is praying? When we think about Christian prayer, who is praying? And what's, what's truly awesome is to consider how the scriptures help us to see that in Christian prayer, the first subject that is speaking is Jesus. Jesus is the one who is now at the right hand of God the Father, who ever lives to what? To intercede for you and for me. And, and Jesus' prayers on our behalf become something that become our own prayers. As Jesus prays, we, we begin to pray because the second subject of prayer is the Holy Spirit. In Romans 8, we hear that as Jesus intercedes for us, the Spirit comes to indwell within us and, 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 he, and he helps us to say what we just don't even know what to say. I remember dating Catherine, my wife. It was, it was a long time ago and while I've lost a lot of my hair, I haven't lost all of the memories, at least not the best ones. And uh, I remember some of those dates where I just didn't know what to say. I thought, okay, it's a little bit of silence, a little bit awkward. What do I say? What do I say? Uh, that happens when we pray to the Lord sometimes, doesn't it? What do, what do we say to our Father in heaven? Well, Jesus, he's speaking. The Holy Spirit brings it in, in groans and words, Romans 8 says, that help us to express Abba, Father, that help us to express not only a personal conversation, but a personal intimacy and union with the Almighty God and Father of heaven and earth. How awesome is that? You see, because Jesus is praying, because he pours out his spirit within his heart, we too can become subjects of prayer, speaking prayer to the Father. That, it's, it's because of the gospel. It's the only reason why we can pray, Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. And we've heard that. I know Pastor Todd has helped you see that the very first priority of prayer is a passion for the glory and holiness of our great God. It makes sense, doesn't it, kids? It makes sense that sons and daughters of the king would long for his greater glory, would be zealous for the truth, power, and goodness of their Father in heaven to be magnified. And the second priority of prayer is the coming of his kingdom. The coming of his heavenly kingdom. That is, the establishment of his righteousness within our hearts. The expression of his righteousness within our homes. The ministry of his righteousness in and through the church. Until that kingdom covers the earth as the waters cover the sea. What a day that will be. 
As part of that same grand purpose, we pray the third priority of prayer. Our focus tonight, the third priority of prayer, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. We, we, Jesus teaches us to pray for the will of God. What is that? Well, a popular understanding of God's will is, is God loves you and has a wonderful plan for your life. As we come to study the scriptures, we can go deeper than that. As we come to study the scriptures, we can see that there is not many different wills of God, but there is one will of God, ultimately the sovereign will of God, which Job speaks of in chapter 20, the decree of God, the will or decree of God that governs creation, blessing for the righteous and judgment for the wicked. Job knew it. Job confesses it, the will of God. Uh, The psalmist, too, will speak about the will of God, that, that sovereign will of God. I will tell of the decree, he says in Psalm 2. The Lord said to me, you are my son. What we see developed then in both the Old and especially the New Testament is that the, the, the sovereign will of God is, is most clearly revealed to us in his word And his word made flesh, our Lord Jesus Christ. Ephesians 1 verse 4, even as he chose us in him before the foundations of the world. You see, the sovereign will of God, the decree of God that not only governs the inanimate things of creation, but does that for the greater purposes of salvation and redemption, the coming of the new heavens and the new earth in Christ Jesus and all who are with him. Jesus is teaching us here in Matthew 6 to pray for this sovereign will of God as revealed through his word. We might put it like this. What God has commanded and promised in his word must be fulfilled. Now, some might say, well, Jesus has done that very thing. Jesus has come to embrace and fulfill precisely the law and all of the promises of God. They are yes and amen in him. And that's true. We agree that Jesus is the perfect embodiment of the word of God. And isn't it true that what Jesus has fulfilled What Jesus has definitively accomplished through the cross and empty grave, it must still be applied. It must still be applied through the ongoing ministry of his word and spirit into our lives. And you see, that's why we are told to pray, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. In the minutes we have left, look with me at how these biblical truths are summarized for us in our catechism. In the first place, what Jesus is doing and telling us to pray for the will of God is is he's telling us to pray for the conversion of our wills. To pray your will be done is to pray for the conversion of our wills will. 
To pray, O Father, may your will be done, is to pray for some radical change to our will. Now, sometimes conversion means regeneration. What Jesus is doing in Matthew 6 is, is he's talking to his disciples. He's talking to his little church. And um, he, is, he is building upon the truths of, of regeneration with conversion. When our catechism speaks about uh, conversion, it's, it's, it's talking about the ongoing grace of repentance and renewal the ongoing experience of Christian life. Uh, we know that because in question answer 88, it defines conversion there. So we've been in question answer 88 some weeks ago now. So you may remember that there we, we, we understand conversion to be the dying of the old self and renewal, the rising of new life in Christ. The dying conversion is the dying of the old self and the rising of new life in Jesus Christ. To pray then, Father, oh Father, may your will be done, is to pray for the continued conversion of our will. It is to pray for the radical change and transformation of our will. I know that Pastor Todd on occasion will quote another pastor named Kevin DeYoung, a good old Dutch name that warms the cockles of many hearts and scares uh, others. But he's good. Let me read you a quote. In this prayer, uh, Pastor DeYoung writes, In this prayer, Jesus calls us to reject our own wills. The longer I am a pastor, he says, the more I see that this is the real battle going on in the hearts of men, women, and children. Many times people come to me with a pressing burden or struggle, and on several of those occasions it quickly becomes clear that this person or couple came to see their pastor in hopes that he would affirm them in doing what they were feeling was not right. It's as if they had already decided what they wanted to do and had a sense that they would be frowned upon by the church and even God's word. Yet, they were looking for some sort of permission or acceptance or validation of their rationale. I think that's a very insightful observation of Pastor DeYoung. I've seen this. I think, for example, of my time in seminary, uh, how often seminarians would feel like being friends with a professor was a validation of their own wills. Students would think to themselves, and sometimes students would say out loud, uh, well, I have a place at the seminary. I'm friends with uh, such and such professor. And the implication that they were making at that point is I really don't need to be a meaningful part of a local church. I really don't need to have uh, accountability with elders or pastors uh, because I got this relationship. And, and you see what's, what, they were, what they were suggesting was some kind of validation of 
of their will, of, of their desires, even though there was a conflict with the word. All right, if that example doesn't set so personally with you, how about an example that I might be able to draw from, well, my, my own family, my own children. Uh, how often uh, have my children come to me and, and uh, or maybe they came to their mom and uh, they, they ask her for something and uh, she says, well, why don't you go ask your father? And they say, oh, well, I already know what he would say. <laughs> Dad's going to say no. So I'm going to come to mom and hope that she will validate my will. All right, now the truth is, it's just not my kids. Uh, they get it from me. Our kids get it from us, don't they? We all have this basic nature a fallen nature that wants to be validated. We want to have the blessing of a, of a pastor or an, an elder when we, when we find disagreement within our marriage so that we can be right. See, I told you so. Pastor's on my side. We want to have relationships with important people because if we do, then, then we feel that somehow our position is the better position. We want to have success at work because what happens is, is that good things, good relationships can often become ultimate things. In this case, validating our own will or desires rather than the will of God for our lives Jesus knows how this works because he knows our hearts. And that's why he prioritizes prayer according to the glory of God and the kingdom of God and the will of God. So that we would truly die to ourselves, reject the autonomous position that we so often want to have Reject as well the idea of freedom to do what we want and pray for the freedom to do what he wants. And that brings us to our second point tonight. Jesus wants us to pray for Christian obedience. As Jesus teaches us to pray for the radical change and transformation of our will into the will of the Father, he's teaching us to embrace Christian obedience. We oftentimes think of that as sanctification. The justified, you see, need to be sanctified. Sometimes we think about this as conformity to Christ, sharing the image of Christ, or walking in step with the Spirit our catechism puts it in terms of grateful obedience. Jesus wants us to be a people who pray for the grace of grateful obedience to the will of God. We put it, we confess it in these words, help us and all people to renounce our own wills and without any back talk to obey your will, for it alone is good. I don't know about you, but I don't know any Latin. Uh, Greek, Hebrew, 
uh, English was uh, as much as my small mind could, could handle. But if I did know Latin, uh, which our catechism was, was first written in, if I did know Latin, I would do a word study on back talk. That's kind of an interesting phrase, isn't it, kids? <laughs> uh, we, got, we got this back talk in our catechism. I think that's kind of humorous. Uh, um, um, I've, I've asked Latin scholars, and they told me that another way of translating this word would be, would be murmuring. Murmuring. Grumbling. And so what we are, what we are, are seeing here is, is, this, is this prayer to help us renounce our own will without murmuring. Help us renounce our own will without grumbling and rather to gladly obey the will of the Father. Not a murmuring obedience, but a grateful obedience to the will of God. Grateful because of the gospel. Grateful because, think of it, Jesus has come and he's paid for all of our sins Jesus has come and and he has satisfied all the legal requirements that we can be adopted sons and heirs of the kingdom of heaven. Jesus has come and in the glory of his resurrection, he secured glory for you and me, an inheritance that will never perish or fade away. What a great salvation is ours. So much to be glad and grateful about. What could we, with so much in Christ, possibly murmur or grumble over? Again, Jesus knows how it works. He knows our hearts. He knows how quickly good things can become ultimate things of our desires. Even Christians, think about this. Even Christians can celebrate the gospel on Sunday and go about murmuring throughout Monday and the rest of the week because they're not getting the things that they thought that they deserved. And so Jesus teaches us, he teaches Christians to pray, not only for the conversion of our wills. He teaches us to pray for grateful hearts that delight in obedience to his will. We can think about the sovereign will of God, the decree of God over creation, over our redemption. That's awesome. And and even more tangible, however, is that, that revealed will of God through the law and the gospel. We can think about the Ten Commandments, kids. What, is, what does God the Father want for us as we come to share in the gospel of Jesus Christ? He, he wants us to, to love him according to the truth of his word. To love him alone and no other gods. To, to love him and, and worship him as, as he finds joy according to his word, not our will. To bear his name, not in vanity, but full of purpose. To honor his day, the Lord's day, 
you know, not an hour a morning, but our God has given us a day to enjoy, and, and he wants us to express love for him by using that day for his glory and our good. And, and it goes on to the second part of the, the commandments, five, six, seven, and eight, an expression of how we are to share God's love with each other in the world. It brings us to our third point, briefly tonight, that Jesus wants us to pray for the grace to fulfill our office and calling. We're getting more specific now, aren't we? Jesus wants us to pray for the specific graces that are needed for us to fulfill our office and calling. That's what our catechism says to help everyone carry out his office and calling as willfully, as, as willingly and faithfully as even the angels in heaven. Again, we see this, uh, we, we hear it echoed throughout the Old and the New Testament. Psalm 40, I delight to do your will, O my God. Your law is within my heart. And Psalm 103, verse 20, bless the Lord, O you his angels, you mighty ones who do his word, obeying the voice of his word. Bless the Lord, all his hosts, his ministers who do his will. Bless the Lord, all his works and all places of his dominion. Bless, that is, Praise the Lord, O my soul. Ephesians 6 verse 5 helps connect that doing of the will of the Lord with his law of love. Bondservants, obey your earthly masters with fear and trembling, with a sincere heart as you would Christ. Not by the way of eye service as people pleasers, but as bondservants of Jesus doing the will of God from the heart, rendering service with a good will as to the Lord and not to man, knowing that whatever good anyone does, this he will receive back from the Lord, whether he is a bondservant or is free. And masters, employers, employers, uh, do the same to your employees and stop, stop your threatening of them, knowing that he who is both their master and yours is in heaven and that there is no partiality with him. The author of our catechism, Zacharias Hersinus, explains this in terms of the spheres or authorities that God has established within the home, the school, workplace, church, civil government. You've probably heard that before. Our sovereign God has decreed that there be these authorities here on earth that, that express his sovereign will and, and increasingly to, to reflect his revealed will of the law and the gospel. And in our prayers, we want to be praying that not only would God be at work with a radical transformation of our will, but, but that he would be at work within the hearts and homes of others that there would be holy hearts and homes devoted to the Lord, that there would be schools established that would, that would reflect our Christian callings and responsibilities, that there would be workplace environments that at least have the potential of complementing our, our callings in Jesus Christ. And you see it goes from there, doesn't it, as well? Hearts and homes and schools and workplaces until his will is done on earth as it is in heaven. And so let us, let it begin with us. 
I had a friend some time ago express all kinds of frustration, maybe even a bit of anger over the ways that election cycles go and kind of pull at his hair a little bit at how, how foolish people can be in putting in place authorities who, who have no idea what they're doing. And I said, well, brother, it really begins with you and me. One heart and home at a time. That's how God works. See, that's what Jesus is teaching us in Matthew 6, isn't he? That the, the glory of our God manifests one heart, one home, one church at a time. At times I know Christians, friends, say, well, if God is sovereign and ordains all that comes to pass, why then is even prayer necessary? If he's got this sovereign will that he's decreed before the foundation of the, uh, the, foundation of the world, why, why even bother? But the answer is that our great and gracious God has ordained the ends and the means. Beloved congregation, Jesus is telling us that prayer is one of those means through which our great God accomplishes his ends. If we love the sweet words of Ephesians 1 verse 3, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has chosen us in him before the foundation of the world, then let us be the first and most fervent and passionate in prayer that his word would be manifest and magnified in our lives. What an awesome privilege is ours. Let's make the most of it. Amen. Our Father in heaven, we thank you for the sweet privilege of being with you again at the close of this day. We thank you for the call to worship, for the reading, singing, and praying of your word. And we pray now that your word would dwell within us richly, that the grace of Jesus would abound within our hearts, and that we, O Lord, begin with us, transform us from one degree of glory to another, and bring it to the nations, that they too would sing for joy. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Our song of